For this morning's scripture, I'm going to be reading from uh, sections of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the first fruits then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. resurrection changes everything. There's a tendency in our culture to, to sentimentalize Easter. To say, well, you know, Easter is about uh, new beginnings, uh, a fresh start. Some say, well, you know, of course, Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, but spiritually, he lives on through his followers. Well, Paul basically spends this entire chapter saying that's a whole lot of nonsense. He even goes so far as to say, look, if, if you call yourself a Christian and the resurrection never actually happened, then not only are you still in your sins, but your faith is a joke and you ought to be more pitied than anyone else alive. 
the message that Jesus isn't really dead if he lives on through all of us is not what the apostles preached. They preached that Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised again on the third day, and appeared eventually to over 500 people in the flesh. They preached we saw him, we touched him before he died, after he died. That Sunday morning after the crucifixion, some women went to the tomb carrying spices. Why were they carrying spices? To embalm Jesus' corpse. But when they get to the tomb, the, the stone has been rolled away and Jesus' body was missing. And they immediately concluded, someone must have taken the corpse. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus' friends weren't expecting a resurrection. They were resurrection skeptics. Despite the fact that Jesus kept telling them over and over again that he had to die, but that on the third day he would rise again. N.T. Wright and others have argued that whether you were Jewish or Greek in the first century, there was no room in your worldview for an individual physical resurrection in the middle of history. See, the Jews believed that all of God's people would be resurrected all at once at the very end of history. And the Greeks believed that the physical world was evil, and so when you died, your soul escaped your body, and your body stayed in the ground. And yet both Jews and Greeks almost immediately came to believe in the resurrection. Why? Because they were presented with evidence that forced them to change their worldview because they saw and touched the resurrected Jesus. When the church began 2,000 years ago, nobody in their right mind would have said, you know, the resurrection didn't really happen, but it's a nice symbol, so let's just be nice to everybody. What comfort would that have been in an empire where following Jesus could get you killed? What comfort would that have given to the many believers, the vast majority of early believers who were slaves, who were refugees, who were living in grinding poverty? What comfort would that have been to the apostles, most of whom were executed not for their religious beliefs, but for their eyewitness testimony to the resurrection? Would you risk your life for a symbol? The resurrection is not a symbol. It is an earth shattering, life-transforming fact. And the resurrection means that this life, this world, matters. One of the things that we've experienced a lot of this past year is grief. We've lost or we're missing things that we love, that we value. We miss people. We miss parties and get-togethers and, and celebrations. We miss traveling. We miss our, our co-workers and our classmates. You know why we miss them? Because they matter. Look, in five billion years, <laughs> the sun is going to blow up, and everything that's dear to you is going to vaporize. And long before that, you're going to die. Someone is going to put your expired body in a box and lower that box into the ground and cover it up with dirt, and before long, you will become dirt. And with very rare exceptions, 
within about three generations, no one will remember you. No one will talk about you. No one will utter your name. Cosmologically speaking, it is awfully difficult to make a case that this planet even matters, never mind that your life matters. You and I are a speck on a speck on a speck. Cosmologically, your entire life doesn't even amount to a blink in the universe's eye. And yet, the creator of it all stepped into time and space, wrapped himself in our very flesh, subjected himself to all the weaknesses and limitations and frustrations that we experience, including death. And three days later, he rose again. And do you know what that means? That means that this planet matters. Not just temporarily, but eternally. Not just subjectively, but objectively. This physical world matters. The human race matters. Your life matters. Your body matters. Your work matters. Your relationships matter. The reason that our lives are so suffuse with meaning. The reason we grieve the losses and limits of the pandemic is because this life matters. Don't you see the congruence between the resurrection of Jesus and our lived experience? They both testify to the fact that this world matters. It matters so much that God spanned heaven and earth just to affirm its worth, to affirm your worth and to heal your soul. The world was not created to burn up in the sun. And you were not created to become worm food. You were created to live forever in a perfect world with your creator. So when Paul calls Jesus' resurrection the first fruits, he means that Jesus' resurrection was only the beginning. And one day those who belong to him will be clothed with the imperishable, meaning we will have new, glorified, physical bodies that can't get sick, that won't break down, that don't grow old. And not only that, we will become holy, just as God is holy, meaning our lives will radiate with, with perfect goodness and beauty, and we will love like Jesus loved. One day, heaven and earth will become one, and God will dwell among us, and we will flourish in a fully restored physical creation. The resurrection means that this world matters and you matter forever. The resurrection also means that this world is under judgment and Jesus is the standard by which the world will be judged. Now you might be thinking, come on, it's Easter. Don't talk about judgment, talk about joy. Talk about wonder, talk about the empty tomb. Well, hold on a second. Listen to what Paul says. He says, the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that if Jesus has authority over death, then he has authority over everything. He has ultimate authority. 
Think about it. If this world matters that much to God, he can't be indifferent when it comes to injustice or oppression. He has to care. He has to do something about it. And the resurrection means that Jesus has the authority to judge the earth, to balance the scales, to set things right. Over the past year, we have had a lot of time to think about justice. I think that a lot of us have had more conversations about justice over the past year than maybe we did over the previous five or ten. And that's a good thing, especially for those of us who are in the majority. It's been good for us to listen to the stories and experiences of minorities. It's been good for us to see the world through their eyes. Friends, this is what God does all the time. God is a justice worker. Psalm 146 says, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free he gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. He watches over the foreigner. He sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. One of the refrains of the Hebrew scriptures is God saying to Israel, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. You were poor. You were oppressed. And I rescued you. I gave you a name. I gave you land. I protected you. I called you my beloved, my treasure. And therefore, I'm asking you to show the world what I'm like by caring for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the immigrant, by lifting up the lowly. James, Jesus' half-brother in the New Testament, writes, pure religion is this, to look out for widows and orphans in their distress and to keep from becoming polluted by the world. Jesus said, this is how I will know that you belong to me. If you give water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, if you clothe the naked and welcome the stranger and visit those in prison. Jesus is a justice worker. Throughout the Gospels, he exposes the racism and xenophobia, the greed and the hypocrisy within his own tribe. He cleanses the temple of those who take advantage of the poor. He tells Peter to put away the sword. He elevates women and children. He welcomes foreigners and the despised and the marginalized and tells them that they too have a place at God's table. That's the kind of king Jesus is. The resurrection means that Jesus is the true king. He alone has the authority to judge the earth. And one day he's going to balance the scales and he's going to set the world to rights. And that is good news for the oppressed. You know, when Paul was writing this letter, about a quarter of those living in the Roman Empire were slaves. Women had no rights. Children had no rights. Babies were disposable. And Caesar could pretty much subdue anyone he wanted because he controlled the army. And Paul says, I have good news. The resurrection means that Jesus is in charge. He's the judge. And when he returns, he's going to clean house. Right now, in 2021, 
there were governments around the world underwriting and turning a blind eye to human trafficking. There are governments that suppress women, that force children into military service, that deprive religious, ethnic, and sexual minorities of their basic human rights. Right now, there are thousands of children at the U.S.-Mexico border seeking asylum. Why? Because in many cases, the authorities where they live have failed to protect them from unimaginable violence. Right now, in our own country, there are efforts being made to pass laws designed to make it difficult for people of color to vote in what ought to be free and fair elections. A law just passed in Georgia that makes it illegal to provide water or a folding chair to people waiting in long voter lines. But I have good news. The resurrection means that Jesus is in charge. He's the judge. And when he returns, he's going to clean house. He's going to destroy all dominion, authority, and power and put his enemies under his feet. He's going to disarm the powers that oppress and exclude and set up a new kingdom based on righteousness and justice. Easter is good news for the oppressed. It's also a call to the rest of us to align our lives with King Jesus to use whatever power, whatever authority, whatever influence we have to lift up the lowly, to care for the vulnerable and the weak, to speak out on behalf of those who don't have a voice, and to resolve to do justice with a heart of mercy in a posture of humility. The resurrection means that this world is under judgment and Jesus is the standard by which the world will be judged. Finally, belief in the resurrection can turn you into a superhero. Let me explain. If you believe that this life is all you have, then being self-protective and risk-averse makes all the sense in the world. Playing it safe, looking out for number one, maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain are all totally understandable. That's why Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. If this life is all we get, then why not try to squeeze every drop of pleasure we can out of it? But if the resurrection really happens, it changes everything. You can take risks. You can make sacrifices. You can deny yourself and put others first. Why? Because it's not your only life. It's not even your best life. Paul asks a good question. He says, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? I would be crazy to waste the only life I'll ever have by running toward danger. Elsewhere, Paul writes, five times I was whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. I've gone without sleep and without food. I've been cold and naked. If there's no resurrection, I have been wasting the only life I'll ever have. If there's no resurrection, I am a fool for enduring all these things. And for what? A symbol? But if the resurrection is true, then our present sufferings are light and momentary compared to the glories that await. Even if putting Jesus and his kingdom first costs me everything, it's totally worth it. Have you ever noticed that we're kind of obsessed with superhero movies? I mean, we keep making them. We keep turning them out. Ever wonder why we keep telling these stories about heroes who risk their lives to save others? Because there's a memory trace in the human heart that reminds us that we were created to live for others, to take risks, to make sacrifices. There's a memory trace that tells us that we don't have to run from danger. We don't have to run from suffering. Because if the resurrection is true, safety is not our top priority. If the resurrection is true, we can take risks. We can run toward danger. We can run toward pain and poverty. We can even lay down our lives if it comes to that. We could be superheroes. Richard Stearns was the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. One day, a, a headhunter calls him, asks him if he would consider leaving his job to lead a nonprofit humanitarian organization called World Vision. And Stern says, why do you want me? I don't know the first thing about child poverty. And they say, well, we, we think you might be a good fit. And Stern says, look, if you want to explore this, I'll talk. I'll even pray about it. But I guarantee you, I'm not your man. Well, they offered him the job. And he accepted, sold his house, moved his family. A few months later, he's in Uganda at the center of the AIDS pandemic in a community with 60,000 children who've been orphaned by AIDS. One community. He comes back, he tells his team, we have to do something about this. And his team says, no way, people won't support it. It's the, it's the 1990s. And he says, why not? And they say, well, we're a G-rated organization. And AIDS is an R-rated disease. No one's going to get behind us. They're basically saying to him, look, you haven't been around here long enough to know how things work. And Stern says, I don't care. I can't ignore this. We are going to take this on because it's the right thing to do. So he sets up a cross-country tour to tell the story of this community in Uganda and these 60,000 children who are fending for themselves and to tell, tell people about the AIDS crisis in Africa. And his goal is to convince a bunch of, a bunch of uh, uh, pastors and Christian leaders to get behind it. And his first stop on the tour, they set up breakfast for 100 people, and three people show up. Not what he was expecting. Goes to the next city, same thing happens, again and again. Nobody shows up. Pretty soon his team says, you know what, you need to come home. This is a terrible use of your time. It's a terrible use of our resources. You are putting your reputation and our reputation in jeopardy. Just come home. 
and Stearns won't quit. Finally, he gets to Minneapolis. 900 people show up. Within a year, he's taking groups of pastors and Christian leaders to Uganda to experience the crisis firsthand, and it snowballs. Richard Stearns, the reluctant leader of a nonprofit, basically single-handedly gets the American church behind the AIDS pandemic in Africa. Since that tour, which failed spectacularly at the beginning, World Vision has raised and invested almost a billion dollars for its HIV and AIDS initiatives in Africa. Almost a billion dollars. Belief in the resurrection can make you a superhero. It can give you the courage to do the right thing no matter what other people say. It can give you the courage to run toward pain, to run toward poverty, to run toward injustice. It can give you the courage to make sacrifices and take risks, to put everything on the line. Why? Because this isn't your only life. It's not even your best life. It's just your one shot to bring hope and healing to a broken world. Belief in the resurrection can turn you into a superhero, into the kind of a person who can spit in death's eye. The resurrection is not a symbol. It is an earth-shattering, life-changing historical fact. It means that this world matters. It means that your life matters. It means that failure and injustice and death and sin will not have the last word. And it means that we get to partner with God to restore the world. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for not only dying in our place, but triumphing over death. Thank you that Jesus' victory, his resurrection is only the beginning. And that one day you will raise all who are united with him through faith and you will make all things new. Until that day, give us a living hope that motivates and empowers and moves us to do what you do and to love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen.